0: Welcome to MGo Radio Potato. Dot nuclear War. You got it right this I'm, time. <laughs> we are previewing a top ten matchup. I'm Brian Cook. I'm Seth Fisher.
1: Alex Strain.
0: And we would like to thank our sponsors. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts, and was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale. Ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. We'd all, and let's not forget, we'd also like to thank our associate sponsors Peak Wealth Management, Hopeshire Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Guide, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, which we will record on Sundays, and Signal Wire, which is where we are doing this right
2: now. Should all add, right. that Underground <sighs> Printing has a wide selection of yellow sweatshirts and jackets and whatnot, so. It might be important tomorrow if you get to Ann Harbour and you don't have your maze. It's going to be 50 degrees out. My prediction for the maze out is
0: (laughs) 70, sure. 60, yeah, we can make that
2: happen. 50, it's coach time. Yeah. Not for me. We should do a a gray gray sweatshirt out. That's what Michigan fans would be really competent at. It's like
0: looking sort of superior but also worried out. We could do that very well.
2: Well, anyway, the, other ones. this will be a gimmicky top five eventually. The
0: Penn State Nittany Lions roll into town. They are 5-0 and undefeated, ranked number 10 in the country. They have had a fairly weird season. They start off with a narrow win over Purdue with an 80-yard touchdown drive to save the game by Sean Clifford after Purdue cannot run a four-minute drill to save their lives. They walk over Ohio. They beat up on Auburn. Before it is clear that Auburn is terrible. Well, maybe a little bit after. Anyway, during. And <laughs> and then they have a competitive game against Central Michigan, which is not a good MAC team there. One in five. It's 17-14 at the beginning of the third quarter, and Central muffs a punt at their seven Penn State scores and kind of rolls away. That game, totally arches about even. And then they have a game in a driving rainstorm against Northwestern that is to 17-7, less said about which the better. So they enter undefeated they enter in the top 10 fancy stats have michigan by 12 vegas has michigan by seven um and i guess we should probably start talking about sean clifford because we can get that out of the way quickly everybody knows who sean clifford is at this point
1: (laughs) uh there might be new fans who don't know who sean clifford is yes for all the
0: infants listening
1: (laughs) uh so he's mostly the same guy Um, they don't run him as much as they used to, but they'll pull it out of the bag here and there. They ran a quarterback draw for a touchdown against Auburn. I believe it was, they didn't run him at all in the game I watched against Purdue, but he can still scramble like he always could. Um, I mean, he's the same guy in terms of his ability to stand in there, take contact, all that stuff. But obviously you don't know how accurate the ball is going to be. He has throws that are just nails. I mean, that two, that two minute drive against uh, Purdue, phenomenal especially that uh, wheel route touchdown the the touch he put on that ball dropping it into Kayvon Lee running into the end zone. So he can make those throws but he can also airmail the airmail the ball by 10 yards and throw a pick 6, which he also did in the Purdue game. So that Purdue game kind of provided the whole roller coaster experience, but he's a fine starter and Penn State has won a lot of games some years with him as quarterback, right? 2019, I think they won 11 games with him as the starter. So He's certainly not uh, a bad quarterback by any means. He just, after four years at the helm, we know what he is and he's never getting to the level that C.J. Stroud is at and the level that J.J. McCarthy seems to be very quickly approaching. It's just incredible he's
2: still alive.
1: (laughs) Yes, he does wander around the field sometimes
0: looking like the robot who's like, why was I programmed to feel pain? (laughs) Uh, So, the wide receiver core loses Jahan Dotson. They bring back a couple of guys that they had last year and they bring in a Western Kentucky transfer who had 87 catches a year ago. Cause Western Kentucky Parker Washington is sort of a slot type guy who they do use on the outside a lot. He did some work against Michigan uh, four catches on five targets for 92 yards as they were f- focused extremely heavily on, on defending Jahan Dotson last year after Michigan's secondary basically shut down the Maryland wide receivers this feels like a game where they're going to be in contact and most of it is going to be like, can they make contested catches? Can Clifford put it on the money? What happens when the, any of the linebackers try to play zone defense?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Parker Washington is a, is a really good player and the Western Kentucky player uh, for namesake is Mitchell Tinsley. Um, the one thing I want to add in here real quick, Tinsley is the guy at least against Purdue that is the punted up there guy. Um, Clifford, which we'll get to in a moment Faces plenty of pressure even still And when he needs to get that ball out He's throwing off his back foot And he's just heaving A lot of times he's heaving to Mitchell Tinsley That's, that's the guy they kind of go downfield for and the, and the third guy here is Ke'Andre Lambert-Smith He's a little banged up um, They just had their bye week So I think he might be back But we'll see um, about that one But the thing about these receivers in general Is that the three guys when they're all healthy They're always on the field they don't come off. <laughs> that was the case last year. Their snap allocation was very lopsided towards the top three. And this year it's been a similar story until Lambert Smith got hurt. So these are the three guys to focus on and um, certainly is the best wide receiver course since Maryland. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously linebackers will be the, the greater area of focus. Cause I think we have a good sense of what the corners can do.
0: Brenton strange is a tight end who was on the roster last year has come up that had a much more, uh, much more impact on the offense this year. Uh, It's hard to tell how much of this is Brenton strange being an exceptionally talented guy. And how much of it is just like, what is anyone trying to do when they attempt to tackle Brenton strange?
1: Yeah. The Purdue game in particular was just a very poor display of tackling all around. Um, They, their defense is not particularly well coached in the fundamentals. And he had this, 72-yard touchdown catch, I believe, where they threw it about 25 yards, and then he ran the remainder after multiple Boilermakers just bounced off of him without making any attempt to put a hand on him or wrap him up. So the story with uh, the tight end room is Theo Johnson is injured, and uh, he started the year out. They've been slowly bringing him back to speed, and that's my big question here going into tomorrow because – is Theo Johnson back to 100%? If he is, that could present a very different look from this tight end group because they ended last year with Theo Johnson as the main guy. Strange started last year strong. He had some drop problems. He kind of faded from view. Johnson, uh, who does have the better recruiting profile, by the way, considerably so, I believe he was a top 100 guy I mean, He was Michigan's year. number one target. He was Michigan's target, yeah. yeah.
2: I, that almost means more to me than tight end rankings. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Like, so, Michigan likes the tight end, and he's probably pretty good.
1: Yeah, and so he just wasn't ready to start the season, didn't get to play against Purdue, and he's slowly been working his way back. And so that'll that'll depend a lot on how much I think we see of Strange is whether Johnson's ready to go. Tyler Warren is the third guy here. He's the blocking tight end, but he's really just a blocker. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see who it is that they throw to the most. But again, um, as is the case with this team on both sides of the ball, we just don't know how good they are because they haven't been tested by a lot of teams that I think are comparable in in any real way to Michigan on on either side.
0: All right. So Nick Singleton is a five-star number 33 composite guy in the country last year. He is their starting tailback, but they rotate a lot. The top three guys are pretty close in terms of carries. And then his backups are just kind of four-star versions of him. Everybody's about six foot. Everybody's about 210, 220. Everybody's got a pretty good size and speed package. We don't really know about the wiggle. Like we don't know about how, how, uh, how much push these guys are going to get when they, when they get contact. Cause uh, you know, you highlighted those two long runs against Auburn <clears throat> and those were Ty Isaac specials. That was a very large man running very fast and not having to do anything else. So like, can he make that stuff himself? I don't know. Bill Connolly had an interesting article this week, which had a lot of deep stats in it. And he pointed out that the uh, Penn state ground game is extremely boomer bust. So their first down rate is low. Their success rate is low. If you go into their uh, line stats on football outsiders, they're in the 80s in most of them. Line yards, uh, power success rate, all this stuff. So <clears throat> it does feel like an offensive line that is going to struggle against Mozzie Smith, going to struggle against Mike Morris. And where you where you kind of worry is like the stuff that happened to Michigan against Indiana when they did crack. It was we got six guys in the box. We're relying on our linebackers to clean up some messes. We lose one double, and then the guy's off to the races. This is the wrong team to have that happen against.
1: Yeah, and there definitely is the potential for a feel like Michigan State game last year, which obviously different way because that was Kenneth Walker pulling it out of the hat. But um, in the way that Michigan was generally pretty good at bottling Kenneth Walker until all of a sudden it was a 50-yard touchdown. And that's kind of the concern here and it's why i made singleton the danger man because if you ask me the biggest concern in terms of if michigan gives up a 50 plus yard play in this game i'm not really concerned about it being mitchell tinsley beating them over the top or uh parker washington taking one to the house like i think those guys are great receivers but i have a lot more belief in michigan secondary to avoid those sorts of things but if there is a big play it's probably some combination of a bust up front linebacker not in the right place one blown tackle Uh, from a safety and all of a sudden he's gone. We saw that last year against Northwestern. You remember that 80-yard touchdown run from Evan Hall when Moten blew the tackle. That's the kind of thing that we could see in this game. Um, Like Brian described, long run really fast. (laughs) So, uh, And Singleton has an ability to do that. Auburn blew several of those and he was off to the races. He has a number of 50-plus yard runs this season in multiple games. So that's kind of the big question is... Can Michigan keep it to under ten yards, under fifteen yards, right? Not have the one big bust because these are the kind of athletic players uh, at the running back position that can hurt you in that way.
2: I want to point out the two teams you just mentioned: the Michigan State game and the Indiana game were the two last times that Michigan really went five-one. Like I noticed that a lot in the in the defensive UFR that Michigan went to their five-one set again, which they hadn't used, I think, since Michigan State. Like after Kenneth Walker did that to them, and that's very a that's a very boomer bust. Uh, defensive strategy as well. So it's I, I don't know if Michigan's gonna apply that. It seems they do it when they don't really like the offensive line they're going against. But um, that might actually contribute to the boomer bust nature of this whole thing.
0: Well, let's talk about that offensive line. I have a left tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sophomore who is getting NA, NFL NHL the NFL buzz <laughs> already. He's six starts into his career he hit. Uh, I don't think he gave up a pressure in the first three games. PFF was very high on him, and Dane Brugler actually named him the most interesting NFL draft prospect in this game. That's a hot take. Um, after six but,
2: games? Against, but after yeah. six games,
0: this guy is getting the kind of talk that like Penn State tackles do not get. Like They've had two draft picks in the last 15 years, and last year they had a guy go in the seventh round. So not exactly primo stuff. So you hated their right tackle. You hated him last year and it didn't really seem like he had improved much in your estimation this year. No. Nope. so that's going to be sorry, he, that's going to be that's going to be really important because if they do have someone on the left who's competent, then that's going to be the main point of contention for an Ayabioki or a Mike Morris.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Caden Wallace is still really bad and he's opposite uh, Olu Fashanu uh, last year it was Rasheed Walker. Rasheed Walker was also as bad as Caden Wallace. He's moved on and now they plug. He him. got
3: drafted. He's the guy who got is drafted. He, is he, all he of Penn, all of the Penn State's
1: linemen are high recruits. They're all athletic. They, you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there's reason why they get drafted. It's not because of how they perform in college. Uh, but it might be the case for Sean. Sh- I mean, I didn't see a lot of issues. Again, I, I don't know. Like Purdue is not a team that anyone is saying like they're the pass rushing Titan of the big 10. I mean, they lost Loftus in the off season. So, and then you look at these other opponents, like it's just hard to know. And then, I mean, even against Northwestern, Purdue just wasn't throwing. Or sorry, Penn state wasn't throwing the ball. It was pouring rain. And so that game, there was only limited dropbacks in that one. So we, again, we just don't have a ton of tape, but what we've seen so far from for was, is, is pretty promising. I think it's also promising from juice Scruggs, the center, our name of the week candidate on offense. He's moved from guard to center. I didn't like him much at guard last year, but I thought he's played pretty well at center this year. And eh, the guards are a little iffy and they're not too great in, in run blocking. And then you just have the big Wallace hole at right tackle. And that's the one that Michigan is going to be going to be focused on. And I think we'll learn as much about Michigan's edges against Fishanu as we will learn about Fishanu against Michigan's edges.
0: All right. Uh, moving to the other side of the ball, Penn state, Defense has not really been tested on the ground. They've played a bunch of teams that have absolutely horrible run stats. Like I I looked up Purdue, Northwestern, Auburn. Those are the three power five teams they played. Every single one of them is like 115th in line yards. And Penn State does have something to do with that as part of their schedule. But Michigan is going to be a completely different level of challenge for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I picked Auburn for the charting purposes because I felt like that was the only team that has a pulse in running the ball. And it's not a great pulse. They are still way far down there and only so comparable um to what uh, Michigan is like. I mean, they're kind of propped up by their running quarterbacks and tank Bigsby being really good. So it's, it's not the doing of their offensive line at all. So we haven't seen this Penn state team up against a team that can run the football, you know, between the tackles without it being from, one of their skill position guys making it happen. Um, in terms of the, the defensive line, they have a lot of rotation going on between at uh, the standard defensive tackle spot and their weak side end. Both of those positions, they're running guys in and out depending on if it's a passing down or a standard down. So you have Nick Tarburton as a weak side end. He's on to stop the run. Then boom, he comes off on a third and long situation. Same thing. For Devon Ellie's at tackle, he's out there to stop the run. Then he comes off for the passing downs. PJ musterfer is kind of the the guy in the middle, holding it all down. He's back healthy. He missed the Michigan game last year. Um, the star is still on him. I think he's still pretty solid. PFF's grading of him is a little lower than you'd normally expect, but we don't like PFF right now, so we don't need to get into that. <laughs> well, um, just the offensive line yeah, stuff. Like, they
2: might have up... redone their defensive tackle ratings because I noticed across the board they used to. Love dudes who just get in the backfield, no matter what goes on, and they think that I think they cleaned a little bit of that up. I know the offensive line stats this year are terrible, but that's what Mustafer does. He jumps into the backfield.
1: Yep, and uh, Edisa Isaac at the strong side. Ed will stay out there all the time, and so the line I think is is fine against the run overall. But uh, the question is, can you? get situations where Tarburton and Ellie's are off the field and they put those pass rushers on because those guys are a lot lighter. And if they're on there and Michigan can find that matchup, I think that they can probably blow up Hakeem Beeman, who is a good pass rushing defensive tackle, but he's very light. And the same thing for chop Robinson, who's kind of a guy who's just going to sprint around the edge and, you know, leave that off tackle run completely exposed. Well, and conversely, if, if they want to throw on first down when Tarburton's out there, he has two
0: sacks in his career, and he's been starting for a year and a half now. So, Just not a guy who brings very much threat. This is sort of like Harrell and Oki for Michigan, except even more extreme. So, Because pro football focus absolutely loves Chop Robinson. He's like grading out one of the best defenders in the country. Uh, And he's not a full-time player. So that really tells you that in his role, He's he's excellent, but he is definitely in that Josh G bit of, of guys who can't be out there on a standard down right now in his career.
1: Yeah, and, and Chop Robinson, our name of the week candidate on defense, um, he is a guy that comes over from Maryland after one season, so there are the Okie comps in that. You know, he was not being coached at all <laughs> at Maryland on defense. <laughs> you know that. So they, they've got some refining to do with him, but he was a top 100 guy. I think he was 68th in the composite. So plenty of of raw talent. And yeah, he could bend around the end and get into the backfield. He had a strip sack. I think he had two sacks in the game against Auburn in total. Very productive pass rusher when he's out there. It, it's just the early stages of his career, and, and he's probably going to be able – to be attacked if you're doing anything, you know, or requiring him to do anything except pin his ears back and go get the quarterback. Right. So, and they do drop him into coverage, him and Tarbert in that weak side edge spot. We do see that. And so that's part of how Manny Diaz disguises his rush packages and and where guys are coming from. But if you can get Chop Robinson trying to cover Donovan Edwards, like (laughs) take that as soon as you can find it.
0: Yeah, one another thing from the Connolly article is that Penn State is terrible at picking up sacks this year, but their pressure rate in terms of just like affecting the quarterback is like eighth in the country. So they send a lot of guys across the line of scrimmage. They get pretty aggressive. It's not a down, Don Brown defense, but it kind of feels like a Don Brown defense because those two cornerbacks free up a lot of shenanigans because they are very confident in having those guys go one-on-one with basically anybody in the country.
1: Yeah, Joey Porter Jr. at the one cornerback spot. He was a guy that coming into the year, there was a lot of NFL talk, even though his play last year didn't quite warrant it yet. He started to deliver the play that warrants it. And Purdue inexplicably targeted him 14 times in that game, which, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, That's it Purdue's was really...
2: offense. If you get a one-on-one, you throw it at that guy. And that's not the best idea with Joey Porter, I think they discovered.
1: Yeah, well, it, it it was a very entertaining battle when he was up against Charlie Jones because you have among the best in the conference at their positions going up against each other. And Charlie Jones won some of those battles. Anybody else against Joey Porter, he was just stuffing him in a locker. And it got to the point late in the game that Clatt is just screaming on the broadcast, like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> 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 just stop throwing at that guy. How did Clatt and... get this
2: job, man? I'm sorry, that's a total aside, but... <laughs> He seems
1: too uh, smart for this. So that uh, that sums up Joey Porter Jr. You know, he's got the height, the length, good athleticism. Uh, we saw last year he's going to get burnt by Roman Wilson, but seemingly everyone in the country is. Um, but otherwise, you can think he's going to be right there in the hip of the receiver, and he's got ball skills. Uh, although, ironically, against Purdue, he did have a pick that was to his hands, bounce off his hands into the receiver, so that was not great. But otherwise. Uh, you'll find hands. And then Kalen King on the other side is a Detroit kid. They have him and his brother, Kobe, who's a reserve linebacker. And uh, Kalen King is, is developing into a really fine player as well. And, and he's higher graded in PFS numbers than um, Joey Porter jr. And I got to see a little bit of him against Auburn. Auburn did the opposite of Purdue. They did not target Joey Porter jr. Once. So there was no tape of him from that game in coverage, but those two guys, they lean on very, very heavily. Um, and they're good. And outside of that, they play a lot of different DBs, rotating at, at safety and nickel at the other spots. But those two guys on the outside are going to play most all the snaps, and they're probably going to do pretty darn well most of the snaps.
0: Well, so we should talk about that interior then, because Michigan has a couple of guys who have been very good this year operating from the slot and tight end, and Luke Goodmaker and Roman Wilson. Those guys will get nickels. They'll get safeties. And uh, I think... We I saw in your piece that they had a nickel against Auburn, who didn't play very well, and they've been rotating through a bunch of different guys. So, do they have a solution there? what What's their What's their plan of attack? How are they going to try to contain those those guys in the interior of the of the defense?
1: So, what's interesting about them? So, they had to Hardy. He was their nickel. That's what you mentioned, and then he gave up a couple like third and twenty five pickups against Auburn, and then they were like, nope. <laughs> Not going to see you again, <laughs> and so he's kind of vanished. The, the The tricky thing with Penn State snap charts is that they haven't played a lot of real minutes, and so there's been a lot of garbage time, and so they've rotated through a lot of bodies, and they also have these pe- uh, rush packages where they'll play with six and seven DBs depending on the play, and some of them will rush the pass or some of them will be in coverage, and so a lot of these guys have very high snap counts, and uh, even for being reserve players. So Johnny Dixon former South Carolina transfer from a few years back. He's ancient, but he's still around. He rotates in at corner Marquise Wilson, another very veteran corner. Those guys come on. Jonathan Sutherland is a guy I would watch against tight ends. Potentially, I'm not sure how they'll use him in this game, but he was a safety they've converted because they got rid of their Sam uh, position. And it's now... They don't have a hybrid space player name for it, and I think they're still technically calling it a linebacker, but Sutherland is safety-sized, so that's kind of what he is. Yeah, I I plays my
2: my Penn State uh, friends, and they're calling it outside linebacker. Yeah, (laughs) outside linebacker.
1: (laughs) 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 Very visual podcast. But – you know, he half the time he's in the slot or, or even sometimes outside. I saw him lined up there, and then half the time he's playing like a linebacker in the box. So that's a guy you could see matched up with Schoonmaker. And if he is, he's five eleven, and Schoonmaker is not five eleven. So that's a matchup for Michigan to potentially go after. And and the linebackers, Curtis Jacobs, their new middle linebacker, he's at his best as a blitzer. Um, and Tyler Elston, the weak side linebacker, he rotates with several guys too. And I didn't see a ton from coverage. Uh, from those guys so um, I think Michigan will be able to get some matchups I mean like definitely if your options are targeting Schoonmaker or or Donovan Edwards against a linebacker or a nickel versus throwing at Cornelius Johnson against an outside receiver I think there's a very clear preference on who you want to take on I want
2: to add one thing about the safety matchup because another thing I got from my Penn State friends because I was like what do you because I I showed them the chart and I was like anything wrong with this and I'm like well normally we we bring out uh, safety I forget his name number six this is what the guy was saying uh to to deal with tight ends because he's big and I'm like that's Ty Wheatley's son isn't it yeah yeah it's, it's Zachy Wheatley um six who's, two one ninety right right but he's like the big safety that they if they're getting uh, chewed up by tight ends he comes in as like strong safety and he just locks to a tight end it is kind of a Don Brown defense at times like they they'll switch it up but. I, I did get a very man, like, we're going to just choose our matchups and go kind of
1: defense. Man, you want to man up Roman Wilson. Good luck. <laughs> <clears throat> one more thing I want to throw out there, and this is crucial, because Michigan will be the second team they've played this season with a quarterback who has a running ability above John Navarre. And Auburn was the other one. And Penn State sent all these blitzes, five, six guys rushing. They never spied the quarterback once. And their rush packages in particular had this tendency to push everything outside and leave this huge crease where the center was just right up the middle. And it was there all day long. I think I had five or six scrambles of seven plus yards, several of them picking up third and 15s, third and 18s. I mean, it it was kind of like, why are they not adjusting to this? The
2: guy looked like Cam Newton all of a sudden out there. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and the thing was, right, you've got these lockdown corners. Auburn, their offensive line isn't very good. The quarterback's getting pressured all the time. The receivers aren't open. The only reason they're moving the football is doing the same thing over and over again, taking these mobile quarterbacks and just hitting them with a scramble, and Penn State didn't adjust at all. Now, they haven't played anybody else that had a quarterback who can scramble, but if they're sending the rush packages and, you know, all these guys are, are coming, sprinting into the backfield and nobody is hanging back over the middle because that's what they'll do. You know, five or six rush and everybody else drop back. Nobody watching what the quarterback's doing. I think there may be scramble lanes available for J.J. McCarthy, especially on third and longs when they really send the house. And that's that's something to watch. I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they approach that.
0: Uh, Special teams, they have a great punter. Uh, I think they're third or fourth in in, uh, punting efficiency. Their kicker's questionable. So he was the starter way back in 2018 where he was 16 of 24, ranked about 100th in uh, field goal efficiency. Lost his job to Jordan Stout, who is not good. And his four or six on field goals this year, he's missed two extra points. So Jake Pinnegar could be a problem uh, for Penn State. They haven't really done anything on returns. All right, guys, how are we feeling? Scores.
1: Alex? Um, I, I think Michigan should win. I think maybe by 7 or 10 points. They, Purdue should have won if they <laughs> had been able to run the ball. And Auburn got a lot of yards despite all the nonsense that goes with being Auburn this year. So I'll take Michigan 27-17. Seth?
2: Yeah, I got to stick with my, <laughs> with my bets. 42-27. But... <laughs> like I said, 32-19.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, come back, and talk with John Bacon.
2: Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
3: It's painless. It's online. Its group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion. UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com.
4: At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over 240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest we partner with leading institutional money managers focus on low fees make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement college tax estate insurance and cash flow simply put we are peak wealth management your comprehensive financial coach book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog
5: peak wealth management
4: retire with confidence
5: one,
2: and two, and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call a criminal law attorney and former prosecutor, Jonathan Paul, at 248-924-9458, or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School, and he looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. The
3: only thing we can be sure of
1: about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications.
5: Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications.
1: These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other, wherever we may be.
5: You can add cutting-edge, real-time video, and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities.
1: Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate.
5: See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com.
0: SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Welcome back to MGo Radio 7.12. No, no, not even no, close, not but even it's close. all right. Uh, it just occurred to me how strange it is that one of our, our ads on our, our podcast has like Snoop Dogg on it. True. How did that happen? <laughs> That's signal Wire. That's the, of the that signal wire guys are like, oh just we'll yeah. just
2: call up Snoop. We know Snoop. He's you, uh he's our bro. You know the story of these guys? They they like invented the technology behind Zoom and then they left Zoom because they're they wanted to start their own thing. So Okay. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't really
0: explain the Snoop thing. Like if you'd said they invented the technology behind bongs, okay, now they know Snoop, I get that. <laughs> but maybe he's just a big Zoom
6: aficionado.
3: Anyway, yeah. John Bacon's here. <laughs> How you doing, John?
6: We start out random and let's ride it the whole way. Why not? So uh, I heard you wrote a book. You heard correctly. Is there it, it is. Is it. is it about the Summit series? In fact, it is, Brian. Oh, when so you ask that, <laughs> people rarely guess that. Well,
0: you know, I just kind of felt like your name's John Bacon and you're into hockey stuff. So there you go. Why it's not?
6: Good. There's there's my very low tech uh, send send set of files. Let's do this instead. There we go. Right, very visual so, podcast. Back, our team Canada fought back, took the Summit Series, and reinvented hockey. And forward by Mark Messier, by the way. Mark Messier. So, Sorry, how about that, that 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 makes it the
2: most Canadian book ever written. Am I correct? No, 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 no. <laughs> Tragically, can you think of a involved? more? <laughs> uh,
6: so you got to, you got to talk to all these guys. They did. It's actually this book was their idea. Uh, I was on the book tour with the Great Halifax Explosion, which Seth had earlier displayed at the U of M Club in Toronto, or as they say, Toronto, T-R-O-N-N-O is how the Canadians pronounce it. We say Toronto, but anyway, Toronto, and um, before the meeting, the guy said, you wanted to meet with me? He said, what would you think about writing a book about the Summit Series? And I said, I've given that no thought my entire life, but I'm intrigued. What do you got? And he's a good friend of Pat Stapleton's, one of the Chicago Blackhawk defensemen, who was a stalwart on this team. And running the alumni club for these guys with Ken Dryden and Phyllis Bozito, and names that are more common, of course. So Pat came to Ann Arbor for a weekend and uh, with Red Berenson, who was on the team. And we went to a few games, had long lunches, a lot of talks, and decided to do it. And he gave me complete access to everybody, and they were fantastic. When Pat passed away two years ago of a stroke, uh, Brad Park, a name you probably recognize, uh, took over as my liaison. And he and I talked on the phone once a week. Man, everyone gave me a ton Phyllis Bozito, four hours in Tampa. Um, I got three hours with a coach, Harry Sinden in Boston, in his Boston uh, Bruins office. Um, and it went on from there. Just fantastic. Uh, Yvonne Cornway, my favorite player. Serge Savard and Bob Clark in Philadelphia gave me two or three hours. So, and please report, they all say to a man that this is the best book on the series. And in Canada, there are a ton of books in the series. So, that was high praise. And uh, That was such high praise, we put it in the back of the damn book. So, thank you. <laughs> Y'all See beaucoup, moins ami. me. <laughs>
0: So uh, you got a tour lined up, or are you going to sort of? Sort of.
6: This book is only being published by HarperCollins Canada, not in the U.S. So as my agent pointed out, this is a freebie. It's an exhibition game as far as my career goes. It's just fun to do. Uh, I will be going to Toronto and Montreal again, uh, but Wednesday I'll be at the Ann Arbor Public Library downtown with our pal Rich Reddy, naturally literati, and a guy named Ira Weintraub. That's Weintraub. In case you guys <laughs> don't know that guy. Um, seven Wednesday night at the Ann Arbor district library with tons of these books and some good stories. Berenson can't make it because he's in New Mexico. He'll be joining me later on for another event. I'm sure. So we'll be doing uh, literati, Nicholas, uh, Grand Rapids, Lansing, um, probably Boston, New York as well, as well as across, across all of Canada. You got I another see, project wait.
0: lined wait. up in the near future. Or are you, uh, got better.
6: <laughs> so, uh, can't, can't divulge it yet, but I will be able to in a couple of weeks. The history
0: of MGO blog by John Bacon.
6: <laughs> Who told you
2: <laughs>
6: this one gets uh, a little the nice. unauthorized biography? The unauthorized, yes, right. With with the stencil so, stamping on that, yes. So Red's Top skipping seed. it because
2: he's in Mexico, not because he
6: actually gets benched in this series. Uh, well, keep in mind there are thirty five players in this team. There's no shame in being benched, right? <laughs> Mickey, Redmond, Mickey Redmond played one game. Marcel Diane didn't play any games. Yeah. Gilbert Perot played one or two games. Two games, I guess. Um, so, uh, trust me, it's a, it's a loaded team, 16 of these guys are in the hall of fame. About 10 are considered the top 100 players of all time. Uh, the list is long and hardy Bobby Orr, Ken Dryden, Tony Esposito, Phil Esposito, of course, John Martel, Raj Gilbert, uh, the list goes on and on. So, and the Mahovich brothers, so both of them talked to me at great length. Keith Mahovich, by the way, is hilarious. <laughs> so, um, uh, and Frank, his brother, the Senator is less funny, but he's a Senator. So right. there you go. Uh, I I thought I mean
2: no one else has really talked as much I think we talk about there's a lot of other books about the Summit Series and there's you know tapes out there and videos and you can like actually go out and watch all two and a half hours of the of the of game eight out out on YouTube right got now got it right over there yeah <laughs> um, but like I don't think anyone ever talked about like how this team came together and like how kind of random. It was like, I mean, people heard the story before that the guy who was putting the whole Summit Series together was just taking, you know, he was an agent, so he was just grabbing his guys, and it turns out it was only like eight guys of, that were even his guys, and one of them was like Bobby Orr, which you're going to take regardless. Yeah. Right.
6: I, I would probably take him. Right. In the best world that I don't point. think he so needed
2: the he... connection to get on Team Canada. Yeah, he did not need that connection. Right. right but um... like, you know, um, what was it? Ferguson's the assistant coach is like you know, hey, I get pick...
6: yeah, and he's like, I want Bobby Clark. And they're like, who? Bobby Clark, he wasn't quite a no-name, but he wasn't an all-star yet. And this, this thing launched his career. Uh, it made him a much better player. But anyway, for you Americans out there, here's the rundown. You recall our dream team basketball in 1992. Alex, you weren't born yet. I know this. Uh, but nonetheless, um, they're tired of what? They're tired of the college kids losing to the Soviets and the Lithuanians and so on. So let's put together the dream team. Canada, the same idea 20 years earlier in hockey. For 10 straight years, the Soviets beat all the Canadian beer league teams and so on overseas, and the Olympics are the World Cup. He said, screw it. We're putting together our best players. Let's do this thing. Four games in Canada, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Vancouver, and four games in Moscow. They did not travel around to Moscow. Uh, Eight-game series, which tells you right there, they weren't serious about this. They didn't think it was going to come down to the last game. They're supposed to win all eight handily, a la Michael Jordan and Larry Bird in the Dream Team. Supposed to be that obvious. First game is seven to three, the Soviets, and the headlines in Montreal the next day around Toronto and so on were nuclear holocaust headlines. Hockey myth ends. (laughs) Boom. I mean, keep in mind also in Canada their favorite sport is hockey, hockey and hockey. It's not like you know losing basketball for us. This is everything. So tragic. And with three games left in Moscow, they're down one, three and one. So that tie game means a game series becomes a seven game series. They got to win all three. They win them all by a goal in the third period, all three goals scored by Paul Henderson, who had been an average player to that point. This thing made his life, basically, He turned him into a millionaire. But they won all three of them. And even though it's in a six-hour time change between Moscow and Brantford, Ontario, where Wayne Gretzky grew up, more Canadians saw game eight at 2.30 in the afternoon and saw the moon landing three years earlier. <laughs> and they watched the moon landing, by the way. It wasn't like they didn't care about it. So they all watched it. And I explained to Mr. Gretzky this stat. He looked at me like I had two heads. He says, More important. Like, what a stupid question. Of course. And yet, the moon has crappy ice. Why would you go there? So um, <laughs> well, that so was awesome. So did the Soviets. So, so, isn't it uh, uh... it, it turned out they did it. There you go. Seth's already pretty far along here. <laughs> they had three inch ice. Yeah. Uh, but what changed, of course, is they'd never seen the Soviets, they'd never seen the Swedes. They played two games against the Swedes in the middle, and that's Borea Selmin, Inge Hammerstrom, Ulf, uh, Ulf Nelson, names that are now familiar to Canadians, of course, and Americans. Um, they had no idea how good they were either. And now they're playing on an Olympic sheet, never did that before. Most of these guys didn't have a passport. They'd never been overseas before. Only and Dryden, and a couple others had been. So they are in for a huge culture shack. They didn't know there's another way to play. They didn't know they had their own style until they saw someone else's style. They didn't even think about it. Um, so the so- style you see today... Is what Harry Sinden invented in Sweden for two games in between the, the two four-game sets. The hybrid style of passing and skating combined with the NHL toughness, the hitting, checking, which Herb Brooks basically mastered in 1980. So that style is with us today, and uh, it's just a ton of fun. All of Canada was on edge, and even though we're Americans, uh, it's a it's a fun, fun story. It really is.
0: All right. Uh, available wherever books are sold.
6: <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Yeah, well <laughs> mostly I'll, available. I've I've got a <laughs> link. I mean, I
2: found it on Kindle with no problem. That's uh that's probably where I'm guessing most of our readership gets their books now anyway. But
6: uh Amazon and all that. Yeah, it's about yeah. 20% uh electronic these days, but Amazon has got it Literati, Schulers across Michigan. Uh they've got it too. Indigo in Canada is carrying it coast to coast. So We've
2: got, we,
0: got we And of course all right, yeah. all right bacon. <laughs> you gotta get cracking on the history of MGO blogs, so we're gonna let you go.
6: Okay, but but uh, Seth pointed out today when we were texting back and forth. Whenever he reads a non-football book by Bacon, he said, "Sooner or later, I'm going to find the Michigan connection." <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> it
4: didn't well, take us long easy. this time. There's Got a whole lot of Barrenson. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole, whole bunch answer. of Baronson.
6: Uh I don't know how far along you are, but uh, Evan Hall is their uh, anal- uh, analytics guy. Okay, uh, the videographer and so on at Michigan. I gave him the eight uh, the eight game set, I gave him you know some money for it, and say. Filter this through modern analytics, and he did it. So after each game, we break down how it looks today. And the amazing thing is Harry Sinden figured out without modern analytics, chances versus shots. Shots is a pretty bad stat. Chances makes a lot more sense. Um, and he has got plus minus for chances. This is all, It's a complicated process and it takes a long time. Um, Harry Sinden figured out who was playing well and who was playing poorly. And almost all his decisions make perfect sense based on modern analytics without modern analytics. So that part's pretty cool. <laughs> So, but now the history of MGO blog, look, it's a dark tale. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that it's not grim and full of horrors, but you got the job. All Bye, right. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> All
6: right. Oh, wait, that's it. Where's the, where's the half an hour of randomness? Well, we got a hockey game. We got to get to. Yeah. <laughs> well, my wife is telling me tonight, how long does this go? I said, it could be half an hour, could be an hour. I got no idea. <laughs> I, there's no what, plan. we'll there's bring a, you back yeah. for
2: another. We'll bring you back for another segment, and we'll shorten the Indiana part because no one cares about that anyway. How's that? There you go. Once Seth, you know,
6: finishes the book, there you go. And Brian, yeah. you might actually like this one. Yeah. Alex Drain, you're the hockey guy. You got to. Alex, yeah, he, he wants to talk to some of series, too. We'll take a break and come back, and,
2: and we'll get into this. All right, we'll take a break.
4: Right. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGo Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGo Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning into an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with Confidence. (laughs) Want
2: the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
4: Passion for e-commerce, sell stuff online, security, performance, conversion, beautiful user experiences, Bella expérience yes. utilisateur, monthly marketing, PPC SEO, make your user a customer, conversion, audio perfume for online retailers, love your website, let human element show you how. Available at human-element.com and find apartment stores, not find apartment stores.
5: This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance.
2: This is Seth Fisher from EmbleBlog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company get a loan. Brian used them, you should use them too.
5: Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgo blog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? 9. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender.
4: When I get this money, will it change me? Will I
1: still be hanging around and will you see me? I
0: better have a same friends with different ladies. When I get this money, will you change me? Welcome back to MGO Radio uh, 8.6. Yeah. Wow. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, it's got a... No, it's just how we do it.
2: Like a JJ McCarthy shot downfield to it, Roman Wilson's going to happen eventually. Oh yeah, it is going to happen eventually.
0: So uh, you 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 just you, 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 you're still here.
2: I tried. Yeah, you want to talk Indiana? It's I was right? like, no, 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 no. I well, want, I want a I... random segment with bacon. <laughs> you want
0: a random segment with bacon? So I mean, like, what are you doing? Doing something tonight? are you, know? you guys
2: doing? Just... Your
0: wife was like, uh, "How long is this going to take?" So.
6: And I said, I did not say 15 minutes. If we got up at 5.45, right. she thinks I'm like lying about the whole thing. I
0: think. Well, okay. Well, we can't let that happen.
6: Of course, usually we have, you know, beer at, uh, at the uh, store naturally and hanging out relaxing. So, Beer at the beer amount. store. Usually uh, it's about 20 minutes before we get around to the topic that I might have written a book. That's usually, I think the 20, 25 minutes, is that about average? Yeah. Oh, by the way, you wrote a book yeah well here's that's what you easy. do bakes you start your you get
2: your book to come out at the beginning of football season which i'm sure someone in the publishing industry is like oh you're writing a book for football fans you should probably have it come out at the start of football season at the height of interest well for us that's like when we haven't slept for a week and a half and <laughs>
0: yeah the problem here is that like you didn't come on in the first week when we we're absolutely delirious <laughs> and uh now it's just like oh yeah he's he's a he's an author of some variety i should probably ask him about his book instead of like man blonde some person what
6: <laughs> dave I, i'm not seeing football <laughs> i'm not hearing football <laughs> right
2: <clears throat> yeah what was worse uh, by the way in, in our annals was it wor- with me me calling your book a novel or brian calling you dave
6: give me this uh, question. i didn't care about either one actually now the, the readers i know educated you very quickly on what a novel is and is not <laughs> they uh, did you can't get so that. uh and you're, you're uh, self-effacing to bring that up him calling me dave and also uh when you guys called it brandon's lasting lessons i didn't care about that either only insofar as if they look for that they will not find it on the shelves or on amazon so only from a marketing commercial point of view did i care about that so well
0: yeah I, uh, it's so uh Brandon Norado, you, you probably know him fairly well, yeah. right? A little and bit, a little yeah. Guy.
6: I, I coached against him actually.
0: Um, coached against
6: him. Yes, he was at Catholic Central when I was coaching the Ann Arbor River Rats. A previous book, right there. There you go. I've got um, that
2: one too around here
6: somewhere. There you go. And now, you yeah, coached, coach Ross. You, you coached against, against him when old he man was in gave high school. At, uh, when my My star player, Chris Fragner, who played at Michigan, also uh, lost the closest vote ever for Mister Hockey. About four or five votes to Brandon Nerado. So the joke goes, the only guy I could keep Fragner from winning Mr. Hockey was me, his head coach. I would bench him when we we're up by four or five goals and let the third and fourth line guys play. I cost him 10 garbage goals easy. Uh, and he was never, he, he's always very cool about it. And now he's a uh, financial advisor for all his old teammates. So that was a very smart thing to do because um, they're millionaires. So that was smart. <laughs> and those so are known the for yeah. Yeah, He's not, he's not, I mean, He's got no experience as a head coach, only one year as an assistant coach. This is a big risk, and I think this should have been handled – if you're going to handle it that way, you can going handle it that way three months earlier, May 5th, when the report gets out, and not rush yourself and not have to tag interim. And there are plenty of candidates to pick from uh, for this. Having said that, if you're in August and you don't want to rush it, you don't want to screw it up, is a fine choice. I am surprised and impressed, I guess, that Billy McCult is sticking around, also a good friend of mine um sticking around he's got 15 years or so experience He's had a lot of experience he was you know a real candidate for the next head coach at Michigan he's now basically in the position of pumping up a guy to take his job essentially so that's asking a lot of anybody uh this season so far from what I've seen Billy's doing that full blast as he does everything so um so that's that'll be a big help for Norado but he can't keep McCault there very long I don't think if Norado's gonna be the head coach then McCault will move on I'm sure at some point, if I'm Narado also, by the way, I've got Red Barrington on speed dial every chance I had, and Mel, too. Um, they know these guys. They know things you don't know. Ask for help. That's my advice there. So there's your two cents of hockey right there. It doesn't seem well, like I mean, they he's... need to,
2: like, call Mel. It's just like he's, you know, <laughs> several sections over. <laughs> no,
6: <laughs> I mean, that was the one time. No, I
2: mean, he's <laughs>
6: right. a,
0: he's a but he's an interesting guy because he was a skills guy in the end. Like, like he was Nerado able was, to like. Yeah. Yeah, got a ton of guys to come out and work with him, like from high end NHL players to guys like Will Lockwood, who were kind of fringe at the time. Mm-hmm. And it feels like he's young. He's probably going to be a bit of a go getter. But like, you you just don't know. I mean, they've looked pretty solid in their systems. And like, you know, one thing that Mel was, is he was very old school kind of guy. We were just talking about the Summit Series analytics. Mm-hmm. And. You know, it kind of felt sometimes like Michigan wasn't taking full advantage of their talent. I know they were the one overall seed last year, but just okay. kind of some programs felt like they were maybe a little bit more modern, like Denver in particular, that was a, kind of a wake-up call because Michigan had all the talent in the world and they come up against a team like Denver, and that that was pretty lopsided in Denver's favor. So,
6: For The first period was abysmal.
0: Yeah, so I feel like... I was
6: like eighteen to three for a while. I mean, it was mm-hmm. stunning. yeah. So
0: it kind of feels like I don't know. Like, is Michigan ever going to have more talent than they had last year? No. no. Did they no. get knocked way, out?
6: Nobody ever will. I don't think honestly. No.
0: Did they get knocked out of the tournament on a fluke? No. So that kind of goes back to systems, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like it's got to be something where you got to mm-hmm. modernize your program a little bit.
6: Maybe systems, maybe skills to some degree. Honestly, to me, it's the first period the first period i mean i was watching that and i thinking if my high school team played like that the first period i'd call a timeout i'd spend it now because you guys want to be here or not i couldn't believe that with the so much to gain finally after a year and a half of waiting from the covid knockout of the previous year and so on this is your chance your team is loaded y'all came back and you're acting like you don't want to be here the first period it was that was effort that was attitude that was not skills that was not systems to me well, i mean why? i mean
0: you're in the frozen 4 why why like you're telling that. me. I, I mean, you I, say I, in I your book, or into...
2: Sinden says in your book, that like you don't know what you've got until you hit the ice, right? Like you could, you could be mentally right there, right up until, you know, it starts. And then as soon as you're on the ice, it just don't, some days you
6: don't have it. Yeah. And that's in fairness to the players and the coaches, including Mel. Uh, Sinden, who, you know, won a cup of the Bruins, of course, and then won the Summit Series and uh, won several more cups as the president of the, of the Bruins, he said you can do everything right and you really don't know what you got until the puck drops. And that, sad to say, is usually the case, especially, I think, in hockey, because you rely on three lines, it's not five starters. Um, and it's such an emotional game, such a momentum game. Uh, so that was a deal there. But uh, even at that, you know, it was a fluky turnover there out of the zone, leaving the zone when they're all over them in overtime. Uh, but, I mean, and you already know this, and you guys write about this, that one-game series, absolutely anything can happen. And more so, I think, in hockey than just about any other sport, Based on goaltending and Herb Brooks can tell you all about that. He knew damn well. They played Subvi's so a hundred times. We're losing 99. We're getting crushed. I only have to beat him once. Um, you know, one and done and get the hell out of here. And that's what you know, Denver, and Denver was a good team. That's clearly the, the second best team, I thought, in the tournament uh, behind Michigan. But uh, but now motivation. I mean, I'm not sure how much all the stuff in the report, in, you know, the COVID stuff, the harassment, um, you know, the goalie being gone, of course, Strauss Mann. I'm not <clears> sure how much of that affected morale, but that team initially seemed out of sorts.
0: And then, I mean, you were the guy who started breaking the contents of this report after it had been in Ward's hands for some months. And uh, things kind of finally came to a head as a result of all that. And I mean, I, I just don't understand. Mel's not under contract. You have the, you have the report. Like what possible rationale is there for not, making a decision and then like got two weeks maybe, and then you're just shaking your head because there's no, there's no possible, there's nothing, there's you, nothing to say.
6: You've raised all the right questions. Uh, the report <clears throat> drops May 5th. And I heard that they did not get it in athletics for several weeks after that. Okay. Let's call it June 1st. You still have all summer long. And, and, and by the way, the regions weren't really watching this case at that point. They just named a president. Um, If you wanted to keep him, you probably could have given them a contract. And if you want to get rid of them, you probably could have done that too. Either one, you could have done in June. Uh, so like you say, why you didn't do one or the other in June, I don't know. And I think Ward has, by and large, done a very good job. I thought he handled the Harbaugh situation masterfully, um, going against the Tide, against the fans, to give him a do-or-die contract, which obviously worked out. I thought he handled the Vikings very well. Um, but this one seems like it fell through the cracks, That the whole feeling is to me. All right. Um, the report is a lot of shades of gray, and I'm not sure how many of those are fireball offenses. Several. <laughs> yeah. That was a thing.
2: The port, I, and this is one Several. piece about the report. Like it, was, like, it was a very narrow report. Like, they told Willerhill by, by design. Yeah, by design. Right. They said, go and answer this particular question, right? And then it comes back, like, as bad as it possibly could, except for the one question they asked, right? The like one question they asked, they're like, okay, that we didn't really find, but... We didn't think he was truthful with us. We did find this other stuff. We did. We should. You should go and look at this other stuff. And like that was exactly what you needed to say. Uh, okay, now we know there's a real problem here.
6: And Michigan's not followed up on that either. The the question of uh, harassment of retaliation towards players, Strauss, man and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, Seth. As far as you know, sad to say, a lot of these things are you know they're serious, undeniably. Uh, obviously, harassment, bullying, and so on by Rick Bancroft in this case, and uh, the relationship between Mel Pearson and the Gulley Strauss man. Uh, but I come back to the one obvious thing, and that is the investigators said several times they felt that Mel had not been truthful with them in their investigation on on not minor issues, on serious stuff. At that point, I mean, and I love Mel, and this is deeply unpleasant for me, but, you know, when I'm working at Michigan Radio or teaching at the School of Education, there's an investigation, and I don't tell the truth, I'm gone. And that's yeah. true of anybody who works at the university, period, I think. I mean, there are a number of investigations going on as we speak. I'm sure probably a few hundred on campus in various ways. So a lot of the investigators, you're probably going to be gone. And if you're not gone, then how are the investigations ever going to work? That's, I mean, you put, you put everyone in a very tough spot. So it's a very uh, – I can't recall a time where I enjoyed my job least less than I did that week. But uh,
0: well. Yeah. <laughs> we're here where we are right now and they play BU tonight and an early season test. That'll tell it's us a real game. quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now we do have to talk about Indiana. Thanks, Bakes. We'll talk to you All later. Right. By
6: the way, we did the book, the first segment we did, Michigan Huggins, the second segment. That was not random or weird. What the hell? Yeah. What see you guys, I'll see you guys next September and we'll do, it, we'll do it old school. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Brian's lasting lessons will be good. All right. <laughs> well, that will be a good session. All right. I'll see you Bakes.
3: In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100,000. It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693.
2: It's painless, it's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union, Or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter. Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order. Chasing people down to pay. Wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com.
3: Here's a thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance.
2: I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did.
3: Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group.
2: They are MGo blog readers and they don't advertise during football games.
3: And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248 248- Six eight two seven four four five, or visit them online at com. should have been fishing not a
6: musician
1: I'm a physician I'm the wrong side of
6: the
0: welcome wrong. back to Mgo radio 8.6 there you go now we now <laughs> we talk about the Indiana game uh I gotta there's a lot of controversy about uh-huh. the play calling this week because, because Clat <laughs> brought it up.
2: You got clatted.
0: and then, and then you're and then there's like people asking the offensive coordinator about stuff and he's like ah cuz that's what they always do. Mm-hmm. Um but I got to say I think there's something to it because you know Borges broke down motion and says half pass and half run and there's nothing there. And I was like okay, but I feel like when Michigan motions a tight end into the box, it's always a run. That's just how it's felt this year. So mm-hmm. I, what I did in UFR is I added a new column, which was motion, and the answers were either no wide receiver or tight end. Wide receiver motion was a wide receiver repositioning himself, staying outside of the box, or going on orbit motion or having, like, the little flare right. stuff. Like Anything the Cornelius that Johnson
2: a... thing where he, like, starts moving yeah. to get himself a free and,
0: release. And – tight end motion was either motion uh, of a tight end into the box or around the box. Um, So uh, there were 13 tight end motion plays in this game. One was a pass. One was an RPO. The other other 11 were runs. That's kind of a tip right there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Like, I think that's kind of a tip. And about half of those were also from the pistol. Every single pistol snap in this game for the third straight game was a run. And you can see indiana anticipating this and their safeties are shooting down into the box their linebackers are going nuts not every single time but a significant portion of the time um so you are giving away expectation when you do that and uh no offensive coordinator is going to be like oh yeah that was stupid i shouldn't have done that but (laughs) yeah if you're setting something up you've set it up and now it's time to like diversify your play calling because there should never be a time where the opposition is certain of what you're going to do because of your formation. It's just not sensible from any sort of like football standpoint. Well, and, and, and Indiana like, of
2: all teams is going to ah. scout you and, and do that right. Like they're the they're the team yeah. that's most likely to just sell out and make it very obvious when they know what's coming.
0: Yeah, because they're, I mean, there are tendencies defense, and what I mean by that is when we played Iowa. Iowa did not care right. I like you could have you could have been in the pistol 50 straight times and run 50 straight times. and Iowa is still gonna line up like they line up and the only time that they change is when they really needed to get the ball back at the end of the game, right? Yeah. That was not about okay, we figured this out. It's like okay, we need to get more aggressive because you
2: should put a disclaimer. We're, we're, you're about to talk about Iowa before Iowa fans <laughs> like commit or, well, we're in the middle of this episode, but yes.
0: We're down two scores. And we need to. We need to go get the ball. Yeah, they don't change what they do based on what you do. Indiana is the exact opposite. Indiana is like we know your tendencies, and we are going to gamble, and that results in waggle plays where you get to throw it for thirty yards to Ronnie Bell, and also the other two guys in the route are <laughs> wide open. <Right. laughs> um, but Michigan is sort of a hard-headed team that has tendencies and plays into those tendencies. Is a frustrating. Team to chart sometimes against a team like Indiana, and they're going to throw the ball a pistol in this game three times. That's my prediction, because it's been called to their attention, and this is a game against a top ten opponent, and they just can't keep giving away expectation like that. Because those pistol runs, they average three yards a carry, and I don't. Michigan should not have a package that averages three yards a carry, and if they have a, a package that, I mean, let me restate that, they average three yards a play. Yeah. Like, Run runs have lower expectation than than passes. Okay, uh, but so if you have a package and you're averaging three yards of play, that's you'd be the worst offense in college football if that's all you did, or you'd be pretty bad. I don't know Iowa <laughs> might be averaging a little less yeah. than
2: that. I'm sorry, Iowa fans. <laughs> but yeah, so your if you're
0: <laughs> if you're just thundering to the line and getting three, two, three yards, getting tackled for loss, that kind of thing, it just doesn't make any sense. And the frustrating thing is when you bring this stuff up, people are like, Well, you never coached. <laughs> yeah, I never coached, but I played a board game. <laughs> like, this well, is not blocking and tackling. This is b- like basic strategy. Yeah. And uh,
2: you've got a and... good running back in, in Quorum who is going to get you extra yards. And that's part of why that's part that's baked into that three yards for carry. So you're really blocking. Well no, because I
0: I did I did take out the 50 yarder. Well, okay.
2: Yeah, but that's not gonna happen every single time. Right.
0: right? Like I'm not gonna credit that for to the play call because I mean guy's dead to rights. And then he just quorums his way out of it. But anyway, that's enough about that. Uh good news is that JJ McCarthy had a fantastic outing. I think he his his DSR was something like 83%. He had two inaccurate balls. He had three bad reads that were pretty Innocuous batteries. One was the interceptions, understandable, you know, it's not throwing a guy a ball directly in a guy's chest. And the other ones were like, okay, he went after Ronnie Bell on the fake uh, check play, and when he had a guy who's open, mm-hmm. whatever. the The level of error he is making, the frequency of error he is making, is impossibly low for a guy in his second year of college football. And then <clears throat> we did have three throws that his teammates needed to bail him out on. There was a a fourth one that was not his fault because he got instant pressure. That was a good play. And then everything else was routine. Yeah. Everything else was routine. I cannot (laughs) like, I cannot tell you how weird it is that I get to the I get to the receiver chart and I'm filling it in and there's literally nothing in the two column. And that's that's been the thing all year. He's uncannily accurate, and you know he's missed some deep balls or whatever. But you know, I don't think I've ever chartered a, a quarterback at Michigan who's this accurate.
2: Yeah, I I, 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 I I went back and read some of your old old UFRs because this one you were getting more into JJ's head than I think I've seen you for a long time. Maybe back to Henny, where you're like, I you know, I guessing what this guy's thinking, and you're doing this from watching the play. Several times and getting to pick out what you see and then trying to apply what happened there, um, but I usually don't see you being able to do that, or at least it doesn't. It doesn't always follow the logical progression, or the progression is so simple that's not <sighs> worth talking about. Well, I mean, there's a lot of your, like third reads and stuff.
0: Well, so honestly, how many quarterbacks have gotten to third reads? Uh, like
2: Rudock, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> for a, a very brief period of time. But like you know, Shea Patterson isn't looking to one side of the field and then coming and seeing that the slant routes covered and then go into an in route. Mm-hmm. Like that's not happening. Like it, it, it was like one, two gone. And then he'd be scrambling and trying to improv. JJ is not doing that. And for a young quarterback who has the ability to move like he does, he has one scramble in this game. It's a good idea. Scramble. You know, he leaves the pocket a couple of times and one of them is forced by pressure. And the other one was just like, okay, well I know I have this, so I'm going to shorten up the throw he he sits in the pocket he's calm he makes great decisions and he's i mean he's a pro he is he is going to be a first round pick his accuracy is off the charts he can move he's got everything and they keep adding stuff to his plate and he just takes it and he he makes it better and when he makes a mistake that's usually the last time he makes that mistake like the the scrambling from like the second game that's mm-hmm. not happening anymore and then honestly, there aren't that many mistakes to talk about. I mean, there was that kind of hiccup in, in the zone read stuff. I had him like eight or nine on RPOs and zone reads. And I think I was, I was, I, don't, I think I didn't credit him with a couple because those, those bubbles were probably live that Michigan was using and he didn't throw those cause they weren't there. So that's an RPO plus two. So I think he's just reading everything out after the snap. Like he's, it's uh it's remarkable. And then you got, a couple of early runs in this game. And for the rest of the game, Indiana guys are checking up. So you get Donovan Edwards running off the backside. And the reason he gets to do that is because there's a blitzing slot cornerback. And he's like, hold up. So
4: <laughs> wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. There might be McCarthy out here like eight, right? Eight, and yeah, and he's eight handoffs later. He's still doing it.
0: Right. So it's, it's, uh, I am, I am super high on JJ McCarthy. And every week I chart him, I get higher on him. Uh, other offensive stuff. I thought Barnhart was actually quite good. Yeah, uh, there were no God. <laughs> pass protection minuses from him. He had the one minus two, which I feel kind of bad because that's the only thing from him that I clipped. So like he was <laughs> like plus six minus two in this game, and I, I, his whole section is like the minus two. <laughs> like, all right, but yeah, he was he was plus six. He he got a plus two for driving a guy so hard on a jj mccarthy keeper that he tripped up a linebacker who was five yards off the line of scrimmage um and then he just racked up a plus one here plus a plus one there and the 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 line the line blocking grades came out very well and you're looking at the results and you're like well what the heck is this and it's like because all the rps minuses came Mm -hmm. on run plays and there were a couple plays where i'm just like there's nothing to grade here like Donovan Edwards getting hacked down five yards in the backfield because of a corner blitz from the boundary. There's nothing to grade there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
2: We, are you going to negative Schoonmaker because like the guy lined up way outside of him comes inside? Well, he's not expecting the cornerback also to come when the linebacker is also coming. And like, there's just that's too many guys. An, no one practices that.
0: And there was another TFL where three guys got decorum at the same time, two yards in the backfield. And I'm like, I'm not grading that because. Mm-hmm it doesn't matter what anyone's impossible block does because they're slanting to this and they're activating cornerbacks and you told them what you're doing with your motion. And so I can't grade these blocks because it's a philosophical thing. Like, you know, I remember back in the Borges days, there were people arguing with me like, this guy's got to make that block. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's his job. But did you make that job easy for him? Because if, there's a linebacker who's standing and reading the play out and not sure what is happening until after the mesh point. Yeah. You got to go ma- make that block. If that guy's screaming at the line of scrimmage, you're going to try to make that block, but you're not going to most of the time. So
5: yeah.
2: Yep. Coaches always coach like coaches have been, no coach is going to say to a player, okay, you're not supposed to do any, there's nothing you could have done in that play. Not your fault. It's, it's like, they always right. have some answer and that's, that's where they're coming from. But when you're, trying to figure out what the heck happened here it was if, if that many if they're running punt block against you there's no there's no reasonable expectation that we have practiced this and should know what to do
0: yeah so i mean other than that like we saw some bailouts from the wide receivers i think that was really encouraging aj henning left his feet both times he got targeted yeah first I, I was one... like
2: Okay, there's going to be some twos in this game, and you both you try to both of them catchables. And
0: no, yeah. I mean like, I I because the first one he leaves his feet, and that's at his waist. And I was gonna like ding McCarthy for that, and then I was like, he didn't need to go down for that. Like, there's no reason for him to leave his feet there. And then the the play in the back of the end zone. I mean, that hits him in, in both hands. And it was it was really unclear from from the I had to I had to watch that like five or six times. It was really strange. And then finally, I just I was like, all right, frame by frame. And there's there's a frame where it's like, yep, the ball's there, the hands are there. It just goes clang. I was like, all right, well, that's unfortunate because hmm. uh, that would have been a touchdown that really would uh, reduce everybody's anxiousness level. Anyway, so do you have any takes from the land of wide receiver screens and absolutely abominable offensive line play?
2: basilak is not a pro quarterback and it's i it's hard to know how much they're gonna it, this matters i did kind of figure out the screens finally that like michigan i think was trying to use their base cover three and just using and figuring Sainer still could get across the guy and push it back and hopefully either our, our linebacker or our safety was going to get there in time eventually they realized they couldn't do that that like the end splits are just so wide, you really just have to play them straight up. As soon as Michigan started playing them straight up, they get into second and seven instead of second and one, and that's it. Like If yeah. you put them in a passing down, Michigan's pass rush is just going to destroy them. If you allow um, six players to be in the box, they don't know which guy's coming, and you're going to destroy them. Every single time, they had to pick up something even more difficult than like a stunt they couldn't pick up. So it's... The, the sad about it is I like can't really grade our defensive line or like treat this as something that's really um, portable to the Penn State game or whatever, even if Penn State's offensive line isn't great. Because it's just, this was a new level of bad.
0: Well, it wasn't because we played Colorado State, but it was the same well, level of bad. For the Big Ten, the it was the yeah. same level of bad as yeah. Colorado State. Yeah. So, I mean, linebacker stuff, I don't even know if I want to ask you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh I mean, you're getting the same Janus stuff out of—is uh, it Janus? The—I keep on wanting to say Jonas because uh, of from uh, from Colson. Wait, yeah, like two-faced, what are you... like the the the—I think it's called a Janus, like a J-A-N-U-S. Janus. Janus. The,
0: the two-faced god Janus. Yes. yes. Okay.
2: Yes, that's what I'm going for. Okay. Yes.
0: <laughs> All right.
2: These are Michigan fans. They get. They could
0: well, yeah, if you pronounce things. it right.
2: Well, that's always been my issue, hasn't it?
0: Janice yeah. Coulson,
2: um, kind of had a. You could tell. He's doing the stuff. Yeah, that, well, the, the way that they were gonna do screens, asked him to do an awful lot. Um, he played that well, and I didn't get he didn't get any credit in the scoring for that. He does some. He he was actually in his gap a lot of times when he knew what he was doing. He gets there really fast. It's not like my issues with Coulson last year. It's just. He sucks up on play action. He's gets behind a block. He just, it, it's just not there yet. He's still a true sophomore. And sometimes it's just, that's what you're going to get. This guy's in his third semester, not his third year. So, and then Barrett is Barrett. There's not a whole lot more to that, right? He's not big. He knows what he's doing most of the time. Sometimes he, there was that play where we already talked about last week. where He like ends up with two gaps because Mozzie Smith gets scooped. And that's, no, you, you yeah, you, you feel for the guy. I gave him a minus on it, but it's not like it's you minus him on that. That's not fair. What was he, he gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> he guess, could well, only he, be wrong. Because uh, the, the, the running back even pressed the inside gap. I felt bad for for. I, I felt bad. Well, he's only a minus one, but he the touchdown was on him when they uh he, he the, takes the two steps Blair down. Touchdown? Yeah, and yeah. and that was disappointing because it's like. That's what they do, right? Indiana's going to put guys out in flares, but
0: well, I mean, he's he's misaligned and he takes false steps, and it's just like, oh,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's
0: he's he's never been like a full time linebacker, so that's the kind of stuff that's going to happen. But I don't really think you have a choice at this point, right? Yeah, like you're going to try to get Mullings better, you're going to try to get Rolder better, but you know, Barrett's going to be the guy, mm-hmm. I think.
2: Yeah, I just if you're going to play with Barrett there are a couple instances where I was like, just use his speed, man. Like, especially if you're playing a team that likes to screen. Like, he could be the guy sitting halfway between, because you know, they were not doing this. Their linebackers were staying in the box. And all you have to do is, if they've got three guys to the field, put Barrett, the guy who's, like, in the middle of that area, right? Because that's what his job was. He's he's built for that. Um, but Michigan just really did not want to change their defense around for Indiana. I think that they just they wanted to practice their stuff. They wanted to... You know get out of this game, and I can't fault them that much. They gave up 10 points, so
0: yeah. I mean, it was frustrating, but then you go look at the stats after it, and you're like, Oh, that that was pretty much a beatdown, right? So <laughs> just got to flip the halves for everybody to feel better. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Yeah, all right, looking forward to the
2: top. Yep, sorry.
0: Looking forward to a top ten matchup this weekend, and we'll see how it
5: goes. She makes a Ruska, Ruska Vodka, 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 makes it all night long. She makes Aruska, Ruska, Ruska Vodka, 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 singing this crazy song. <laughs> mayor and the land surveyor